Hey guys, what's up? How's everyone doing this morning? Well, as the video just said, we're at the conclusion of the series we've been doing this month called When the Devil Knocks. And this isn't like a devil glorifying message. I'm not going to get up here and draw a pentagram and be like, eh, for 30 minutes. I'm not going to do that. What this is is saying when the enemy attacks your life, we want to just give you some practical tools to fight back. So the theme verse for this is Ephesians 6, 12. And I actually used my real Bible today, so it's there. All right. So Ephesians 6.12, I have to get real close because the letters are really small. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And a lot of us think, like, oh, it's that person at work that I hate. That's who my big enemy in the world is. It's that person that just cut me off in traffic. It's that person who just shot me the bird. All those people are bad people, sure. But... They're not the biggest enemy. They're not here to take you out. Our battle, like it said, is not against flesh and blood. We don't need to be ready for if the devil attacks. We need to be, we are already under attack, and it's all about how we fight back. Another big theme verse for this message itself is 1 Peter 5, 8. And this one's in the New Living, so it's going to be a little different. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you're like me and a dog person, you're really happy that they made the clarification that he's a lion, that he's in the cat family, because dogs are a lot better than cats. Amen. This is just the first of a lot of lame jokes. So just be ready for this, okay? A lot of lame jokes and TV references for shows most of y'all probably have not seen. So what did Jesus come to do when he was on earth? He came to bring life. And according to Jesus, the devil's mission was three things, to steal, kill, and destroy. He came to steal your joy. He came to kill peace in your life. He came to destroy contentment. He came to get you to compare yourself to other people and say, I'm the same age as them. They're there, and I'm here. Why do I feel this way? He came to attack your friendships, your finances, your reputation, your family, your relationship with God. He came to attack your life. So in the first two weeks, the first week we talked about Satan being the deceiver who targets your mind with lies, with lies about yourself, with lies about him. I wasn't in here last week, and being completely transparent, I didn't listen to the podcast. But like Kurt said, he talked about using the Bible as the word of God to fight back. That's the key right there. That's how you fight back. You can do a lot of fighting on your own, and it's not going to go very well for you, just being super blunt. (laughs) You will maybe make it a couple of days, maybe a couple hours. But when you use the word of God, that's how you overcome. That's how you win. That's how you do this. And this week, we're going to talk about Satan being the destroyer who targets your will with pride. I think a lot of people, we think, especially in America, that like when we're at our lowest point, that's when the devil's attacking us. When we're in the hospital, when we're going through something like what Miss Belinda went through last year, that's when we think, oh, the devil's attacking that person. When in reality... I think that he attacks you at your point of strength, when you feel like you're your strongest. He'll kick you when you're down, for sure, but he will also attack you when you're on top. Because when you're on top, that's when you're the least aware of needing help. No one's like, I'm in a great place in life right now. I just bench pressed 400 pounds. You know what I need? Help. No one thinks that. That's not human nature. Human nature is to think, like, I got this on my own. So the story we're going to use is found in the Old Testament, and it's King David. And this was David at the height of his popularity and his power. And for a little bit of background about David's story, he was this little kid, and the prophet Samuel comes to his father and is like, we need a new king of Israel after Saul. And David's father picks his seven other siblings before he picks David. And the seven siblings didn't measure up to being the king of Israel, to being the leader of God's chosen people. So they go through the seven, and then Samuel's just like, 
nah, not feeling it. None of these people look good enough. And then David's dad's like, well, I got this other kid. He's kind of a, I can't think of the word. He's kind of a rat, <laughs> I guess. So <laughs> he ends up picking the rat to be the next king of Israel. And this is when he's a little kid. So this little kid then goes on to fight Goliath. I think that's, if you know who David is, that's probably what you know him for, the David and Goliath story, the little kid with a slingshot and a rock taking down a giant. And when this happened, it's the equivalent of, like, Old Testament people going viral. Like, Baby Shark, if you're a student, or Chewbacca Lady, if you're (laughs) not a student. After David did this, he went viral. And... Being 100% honest, it'd be really hard to not let that get to your head. He's known as a war hero. It says in the Bible that this guy David's walking down the street and women are writing songs for him and singing it in the street. Now, obviously, I know I'm like a 10 out of 10 on the scale. (laughs) See, I need this message too. But in my experience in life, I've never been walking down the street and people have been like, Brandon, you're so awesome. That's never happened to me. Corey's never done it. My best friend's never done it. My mom's never done it. My dad's never done it. My family's never done it. None of these people have ever done it. But it happened for David. Real happy for him. Not mad about it at all. Not mad at all. (laughs) And could you imagine that, though, just like how hard it would be when you have all these people worshiping you, being the equivalent of a celebrity today, trying to stay humble? If you look at a lot of our celebrities today, it's a challenge, apparently. And that's when David stumbled, not his weakest moment, not when he appeared strongest. If we were doing Bible family feud and we asked, we, going, we asked 100 people at a mall what David's greatest sin was, 99 people would say is adultery of Bathsheba and then having the husband Uriah killed in battle. That's a pretty bad one in my mind. But I want to say that that only led to four people dying, and that's still four people dying. But if you read in First Chronicles, there's a sin of pride that David commits, and 70,000 people die instead. And we can also say that pride is what led to the adultery that David committed, because this lady comes up to him, and he's like, he's like, hey, girl, what's up? I'm the king. I've never been in this situation before, so I just imagine <laughs> how this goes. <laughs> and this is pride is what led to his lust, which led to murder. Because of David's adultery, four people died. Uriah, the baby that was birthed from said adultery, Amnon, and Absalom. And David didn't handle this the best way either when, like, we're we're starting to get out. Like, oh, he did this with Bathsheba. He sent her husband to the front line of battle, making him one of the most likely people to die. Again, never been in the situation of committing adultery, never been married. But that seems like not the best way to handle it, again. (laughs) But... David's sin of pride, like I said, caused 70,000 people to die. The enemy often attacks not when we're weak, but when we are prepared, when we feel like we're in our strength. So the verse in 1 Chronicles 21.1, it says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Now, reading that, you think, why is taking a census a bad deal? I agree. Satan, I'm not Satan, censuses, we do them in America. I think they're okay. It just gives you a track of the numbers of people and everything. It's kind of needed. It's good for sectioning, for voting, and all that fun stuff. But this is a David at the top of his game. He was winning battles. He was conquering everything. His favorite song on Spotify was We Are the Champions by Queen. (laughs) And he just kept fighting, and he kept winning the battles. He was at the top of his game. And I kind of have a story from my personal life about this. So... 
I guess about a month ago is when you asked me to preach, Nathan. And in that moment, I'm not going to lie. I was like, wow, I must be doing something right. I'm getting asked to preach. Maybe like a day later, I'm waking up and I'm getting ready for school. And it just came. It was an attack like, you're not ready for this. You're not ready for this. And it was like a mental fight for three days. I had to convince myself again that I'm not ready for this. And that honesty, the devil's right. I'm not ready for this. But God is ready for this. And this isn't about me. This is about God. So, like I was saying, David, he's at the pinnacle of success. And Satan comes and whispers to him he should take his census. Just to see how powerful David is. That's why it was wrong to take a census. And it's base concept. A census isn't a bad thing. In fact, Moses took an annual census before David was even a thought. Moses asked for every male 20 or over to give a half shekel, or they called it atonement money, as a reminder that God had purchased their freedom. So Moses' census was about honor to God, was about glorifying to God, was about saying, this is what God did for you. Whereas David's census was all about him, was all about pride, was all about saying, this is what I've done. It's not about what God's done. And we can all get that way in life. You know, if you get a promotion at your job, you're like, I did this. I did this. This was on me. And, it, I mean, even working in churches like I do pretty much, it's easy to get in pride. Like when people come up and say, the words looked really good today. The timing was really good today, et cetera, et cetera. It's hard not to get a big head about it. And my head's already big as is. So it's not that easy for me to get a bigger head, right? So another fun story about my life. Sometimes on Sunday nights, me, Corey, and Hannah go to a church in Atlanta called Free Chapel Midtown. And if you don't know, I go to Georgia State, and I'm kind of familiar with the downtown area. So I felt pretty confident because they were like, Brandon, help us get around. We need to get back to the parking deck. And I was like, we just go this way. We go this way. And the message that we had just heard was talking about God's at the bottom. Jesus is with you. You have faith for this. So I'm walking, I'm like, this is the way we go, feeling all confident and cool. And I step in a puddle, and I slip and fall, and I'm like two inches away from being the youngest person to ever need life alert. (laughs) So me being the good Christian that I am, I'm like, I'm going to use the message I just came. So I say, God is at the bottom. I have faith for this. Jesus is with me. And everyone starts laughing. But you know who laughs the hardest? Corey, my girlfriend. So that's just... Like, I was feeling here, and then when I'm here, I'm about feeling here. And then when she starts laughing, that's the rest of me falling down. (laughs) I may not have physically fell down, but I definitely in my pride felt down. And I said all that to say Satan loves to attack when you're full of pride. In this same story in verses 6 and 7, Joab was David's commander. He was like his chief of the army. Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the eyes of God. So he punished Israel. So I want to ask again, what's worse, adultery or pride? If you look at the verses in the Bible when David repents of his adultery, in 2 Samuel 12, 13, he's talking to Nathan, not that Nathan, Bible Nathan, and he says, (laughs) I have sinned against the Lord, which... I mean, he did. He committed adultery. He had the person killed. That's a sin. But if you look in 1 Chronicles 21.8, he says, I have sinned greatly by doing this. They make the emphasis to add greatly. And I think that just shows, like, pride is the root of all sin. And I love this quote. I heard it this week a bunch. And it said, you may never be more vulnerable than when you are full of pride. Pride creeps up on us. It's not coming when we expect it. No one's like, I'm feeling proud right now. The devil's about to come get me. And even if you did, you probably wouldn't be like, I'm cool with that. The devil's about to come get me. 
I wouldn't. So there's another king in the Bible. His name is Uzziah, and he used weapons from towers. His fame spread. He was a very powerful king. But in 2 Chronicles 26, 16, it says, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Pride can hurt everything. It can hurt your relationships. It can hurt your friendships. It can hurt your job. It can hurt whatever. If it's something that's valuable, valuable to you, pride can hurt you. I've learned this in my years as a Georgia fan. Every time I'm feeling confident about Georgia, <laughs> and I'm like, we're doing great. We're going to go all the way this year. We lose like Vanderbilt or something like that. And it hurts every year. <laughs> Even though I'm expecting it, it still hurts. And Proverbs 16, 18, this is in another translation. It says, pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. And being transparent, a lot of times in churches, as church people, we are the worst about this. We think, like, I'm so holy. That person's struggling with that. I've been saved with that so long. I would never, ever do that. I'm going to go tell all my friends so we can pray for them. And we turn prayer into a form of gossip. We'll be like, Lori, did you hear what Nathan did? Oh, my God, we need to pray for him. And it goes back to the same thing. It's all about the motives. If you're genuinely like, I want to pray for this person so they can get better, awesome, do it. But if you're using prayer as a form of gossip, check your heart, bro. (laughs) And another form of pride is just thinking, like, you got this. Here comes the first TV show reference. Has anybody ever watched the George Lopez show? Cool. Like, two people. Awesome. (laughs) So... Me being the young kid that I am and wanted to watch TV while I was going to sleep, there wasn't a whole lot on that wasn't scary and would give me nightmares, so I would watch this thing called Nick at Night. And it's not bad at night. It's just like sitcoms from the two early 2000s. And that's my intro to the George Lopez show. And he says a lot. I'm going to try to do his accent. It's going to sound really bad, so just forgive me. He <laughs> He's like, I got this. And more often than not in the show, he doesn't got this. He needs help. But he keeps trying to do it, and it keeps backfiring. And no matter how many times he says, I got this. When I was getting ready for this message, I found like a 20-second clip of him just saying it over and over and over again on YouTube. And I was this close to being like, I'm going to put that in my message. I wasn't going to subject you guys to that. I love y'all. <laughs> and just some practical ways that we can show we're in pride is I'm a self-made person. I've worked hard. I deserve this thing. We can even, like, in issues in our life, we can have pride about our issues. I know I've got a problem. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm not going to ask for help. I can't ask for help. This is something I have to do on my own. We're not going to apologize. This situation is not my fault. A lot of times if you're saying that, that it's not your fault, take a step back. It is, <laughs> in my experience. So w- the question is, how does God feel about pride? And that's found in James 4, 6, through 8 and verse 10 says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble submit yourselves to God resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to God and he will come near to you humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up when it comes to God most of y'all will probably not know that song and I'm proud of you for it y'all are better people than me you just need to sit down and be humble so in the verse if you go back into the Greek when it says opposes That means God has a full army ready for battle against pride. But then if you go to look at submit in the Greek, it's a military term used to mean that you voluntarily rank under. And that's hard to do. To I mean, as a I'm only like 24, but it's hard to be like, 
to just give up control and trust God completely. It's hard to not be like, I got this. That was not a good impression of all. When it comes to Satan, God and Satan, there is no middle ground. You can't casually love God. You can't be like, this God guy, he's all right, I guess. He's kind of cool. In fact, in the Bible, in John, it says, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. How do we resist the evil one? Go to Jesus. It's all Jesus, all Jesus, all Jesus. Jesus was clear when he was alive. If you exalt yourself, you will be humble. That's heavy. (laughs) And pride says, I don't need God. I'm better. I've got this. Again, you're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. I want that to just be like, if you come away with one sentence of what I'm saying, just remember that. You're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Humility says, I need God. I need this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I need you. Like that song said, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. If you look, Christianity should be the most humble religion because to get to heaven, to get to this eternal life, you're depending on someone else that's not your own. There's no work. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you. He already loves you. And that's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of Christianity to me is that God loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. You can come to God and say, God, I messed up. And just be willing to be broken before God. So we've been talking about the devil, and we're going to talk about the fall of Lucifer. There were three archangels in the Old Testament, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And the fall of Lucifer, that's really hard to say, happens in Isaiah 14. And I don't have it in there. I just have, like, the things he said because the devil always points to himself. He says, I will ascend to the heavens. That's pride. I will rise my th- raise my throne above the stars. That's pride. I will sit enthroned on the top of the mount of assembly. That's pride. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. That's pride. I will make myself like the most high. That's also pride. If you look, the devil is all about him. And Jesus is all about God. And the biggest proof of that I can think of is in the Garden of Gethsemane right before the cross. And Jesus is like in agony. He's sweating blood. And he's like, God, I don't want to do this, but I voluntarily submit to you. Not my will, but your will be done. And he went on and did it. Satan wants you to say, I will. But we honor and glorify God by saying, thy will. A lot of times we think humility and being humble is a sign of weakness. We think, I can't ask for help. I have to do this on my own. I'm a big man. I'm an independent woman. I'm all these things. And that's awesome. Be that. But also depend on God. That's where true strength is, is declaring your need for God. You're never weaker than when you're full of pride, and you're never stronger when you're depe- than when you're dependent on God because that's how you resist. That's how you fight. We are in a battle, and we only have one offensive weapon in this Bible, if you, or battle. If you look in the Bible when it talks about the armor of God, all of them are defensive things. They're all things to protect you, and that's awesome. But we only have one weapon that's used for offense, and that's this right here. I should have got a little one so it would be easier to hold up, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> And this is how you fight your battles. This is how you fight, knowing the word of God, knowing what God says about you, knowing to humble yourself before God. If you humble yourself before God, he will lift you up in due time. It's the complete opposite of what I was just saying earlier. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But if you make the decision to humble yourself, you will lift yourself up. and He will lift you up in due time, not you lifting up yourself. And it also says in the Bible, because I am called by your name, I will humble myself and pray. I will seek your face. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive my sin. He will forgive my sin and heal the land. And I just think that's so cool that God, no matter what you've done, if you just humble yourself and go to him and say, God, I need help. I need you. 
He's going to help you. It doesn't matter if you're the worst person ever. You can just go to God, and he loves you. That's why that song they did, that last song, Reckless Love, gets me every time. Because it's, it's love is reckless. If you look up the definition of reckless, it's acting with a disregard or something like that. And he gave up, he- Jesus gave up heaven for me, for you, for you, for every single one of us in here and every single one of us in the world. That's why there should be no room for judgment in the church. Because these are people that God sent his son to die for. They may not look like us. They may not act like us. They may not talk like us. They may not listen to the same music we do. But Jesus still died for them nonetheless. And that's why we need to be a church full of love. That's why the church should not be known as this thing that causes division. We should be known as something that loves people despite themselves. Because God loves us despite ourselves. Amen? So, how's everyone feeling? This is, like, a really hard thing to talk about, I think. Because usually I think people's first message is just, like, this generic, like, God loves you. John 3.16. And I'm up here, like, humble yourselves. Submit to God. (laughs) Resist the devil. So it's fun. (laughs) So there's another Bible character that has an issue with pride. And obviously King David recovers from his sin and goes on to become a great king. But this character speaks the most to me because he's the disciple I find myself in a lot. And that's uh, Peter. So if we could pull up Matthew 16, 13 through 23, that'd be great. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. This is Jesus asking, who do you, Peter, say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was revealed not For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, I want to pause right here. What did Jesus call Peter? The rock of the church, right? You are my beloved. You are, I'm pleased with you. All that good stuff. This is very important. Remember that three verses ago, Peter was the rock of the church. All right, let's go. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So in the matter of seven verses, ten verses, Peter goes from the rock to Satan. (laughs) All because of pride. All because of this thing that we all struggle with every day that says, I know better than God. A story I thought of with this was, when I just got saved, I had a huge crush on a girl. And I was pretty sure she didn't like me back, but it was whatever. So I had a magic eight ball at the time. Does everyone know what a magic eight ball is? Okay, cool. So me not knowing anything about talking to God, I get said magic eight ball. I'm like, God, does this girl like me? Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. No. (laughs) I'm like, well, that was just luck. God, does this girl like me? Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. I think not. (laughs) 20, 30 times later, I finally get the point, (laughs) the hint. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) And, I mean, 
that's obviously a silly example of that, but I think we all do some form of this every day. We'll feel like God's leading us to go do something. We'll be like, no, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. This isn't for me. And this is what God's plan is, and we'll hide from it, and we'll run from it. And the truth is about God's big plan for your life, you can't do it on your own. This isn't something you can do. This isn't something you can do in your natural power because God wants you to rely on him. So your true calling in life, whatever it is, if you're going to be a businessman or a teacher or a preacher or whatever, you have to rely on God. It's not something you can do in yourself because he needs you to be dependent on him because that's how he gets glory is you being able to say, this isn't me. This is God that got me to wherever you want to be in life. And so another story about Peter is found in Matthew 26, 31 through 35. And it says, then Jesus told him this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. That sounds great, right? Jesus, you're going to go to the cross. You're going to die. I'm never going to disown you. But that's not the end of the chapter. The whole crucifixion event happens. And we're, and you pick up in verse 69 where Jesus is on the cross and... Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. That's one. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. That's two. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man. Immediately a rooster crowed. That was three. That's why the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you would have sown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I feel bad for Peter in this situation. He relied on himself. He was like, I'm never going to do this, God. I'm never going to disappoint you. And he did. Right there, he did. He denied him three times. When Jesus needed it the most, all his disciples said, we will never disown you. And in my knowledge of the Bible, there's not any of the disciples there with Jesus on that day. He's by himself. He's struggling. But again, he continued on anyway because it was God's will, because God loved us and sent him. He knew his purpose. That's how you submit to pride. Know your purpose and know to rely and trust on God. And so later on, this is the last I think you hear of Peter in the Gospels. And so you're like, wow, that kind of sucks for Peter. He was weeping bitterly. Poor guy. But then you go to the book of Acts after all the Gospels, and this same Peter who struggled with pride, who struggled with pointing all to himself and not to Jesus, who, who told the Savior, I know better than you. I have a better plan for life than what you have. And you go to Acts chapter 2, which is the start of the church, and it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And that's all I put in there because I added more after I put in the verses. So we're going to start with verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to preach and speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled him. Now they were, stay, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this round, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears from them in our native language? Perithians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. And it lists a whole bunch more countries. And the leader of this church in the book of Acts was Peter. He went from broken to beautiful. He went from broken to being a leader. And that's what we all need to do with the sin of pride, with any sin, is just be broken. I think a lot of times we're scared to be honest and scared to admit, I struggle with this. I know I spent most of my life not wanting to talk about people with my emotions. In fact, if you ask anyone who's close to me and they can tell I'm fuming, the most common thing I'll say is, I'm fine, I'm good. And like, I don't make it, I'm a very easy person to read. (laughs) And these people close to me can tell I'm not fine, and I'm just gonna say I'm fine because of pride. So I wanna just encourage us all today, and the band can go ahead and come up, to be weak today. Ask for help today. If I was to wrap all what I've said up into two words, it'd be submit and resist. Submit yourself to God. Voluntarily put yourself under God's rule, under God's plan. And resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's what you do when the devil knocks. You submit yourself to God. You don't try to fight the battle on your own. It's a losing battle. It's a battle you can never win. But what you do is you resist. You resist that temptation. You resist the temptation to say, I got this. I can fight this on my own. And just go to God and let him love you and let him be the one who changes you. Let him take you from broken to beautiful today. So we're going to pray and we're going to hopefully have just a moment with God. I believe God wants to do something in all of our lives today. So could everyone bow your head and close your eyes? Father God,